My name's Brett. I'm 46 years old. I'm a white male. Um, I come from a divorced family. I, I'd like to think that... Sure, how do I describe? Determined, tenacious. Um, always been somebody that looked at the Fifty Shades of reality between right and wrong, black and white. A fighter at heart, I suppose. Um, and somebody that, I suppose, behind all of the facade of being hard and, you know, not being affected by the world, I've been very affected by my reality. I'm going to share the part of me that I think is the part that has really fine-tuned me to the man that I am now. You know, parents played a huge part, but I think the, the moment arrived in 1999 when headline news in South Africa was we were the most infected country in the world. And on my return from a film shoot up in the Kruger National Park, I landed up getting really bad flu-like symptoms. And the last thing I ever thought of was that HIV was going to happen to somebody like me. I was white, I was rich, I was whatever you wanted me to be, but I didn't want to believe that it would happen to me. And I was in my first ever relationship, and I thought I was educated enough to be able to see if my partner might have it. I thought I might be bright enough to have known to take precautions before I knew. Like many other South Africans, I'm human. I've made mistakes, and a few of them were, as the story will tell you, was to believe that HIV wouldn't happen to me. I landed up getting back home, really bad flu-like symptoms, and very reluctantly I phoned my doctor, and Murphy's Law, you know, the stars were certainly looking after me because there was a replacement doctor. My doctor was on sabbatical. And I'll never forget her name was Dr. Schumann. And I phoned and I said, look, darling, I've just come back from darkest, deepest Kruger National Park. I think I've got tick bite fever or malaria, being a fluffy Cape Tonian. And she said, well, Brett, the only way we're going to know about this is you're going to have to come through. And at that stage, I was living in Tambus Cliff and her offices were in gardens. So very reluctantly, I went off to the doctor and she pulled out the needle and I passed out. And I suppose that's why I don't like doctors. The sight of a needle still today is quite frightening. And I remember her waking me up and rather embarrassingly, sheepishly leaving there. And she said, I should have the results in a couple of days. So a couple of days later, um, I phone and she says, well, results are back. And negative to tick bite fever and negative to malaria. And this is really when I realized that, hang on. So what the hell is this? And headline news was sitting at the back of my head here and going, you know, the most infected country in the world, proudly South Africa. And I remember asking her an HIV. She said to me, well, Brett, you didn't ask me for an HIV test. And by law, I'm not allowed to test you. you know, whether you're the president, your father, your mother, doctor, nobody's allowed to test you without your consent. But what I would recommend, Brett, is that you have one. And this was on the first day before Easter weekend, 1999. 
I was starting to feel a lot better. This was already two weeks of really bad flu-like symptoms. I very reluctantly went back into the car and drove back to Dr. Sherman on the Thursday before Easter weekend and again passed out in front of this doctor for the second time. She again woke me up and said, look, I should have the results by Saturday. By this stage, I'm an only son, um, so my mother was the only other person other than my partner knowing that I was going for this test. So she came out from the suburbs, Durbanville, and came rushing out to pick her baby boy up and take him off to the suburbs, chicken soup, bedtime stories, make mommy's boys much better, faster, quicker. And by this stage, Saturday morning, I was feeling better. It was really nice having a mother looking after you. And the phone rang, and it was Dr. Schumann. And I remember she gave me three clues. And still I didn't want to believe that it would happen to me. I'm rich, I'm white, I'm whatever you want me to be. It only happens to those kind of people. And the first clue she gave me was when she said, well, look, Brett, the test results have come back, but they've come back inconclusive. Now, Brett is English and has always been English, but at that very moment, I went blank. And I said to her, I beg your pardon, and she said, well, Brett, from 0 to 10, 0 to 5 being negative, 5.01 to 10 being positive, you've come back 5.01. First clue. Still, I didn't want to believe that it would happen to me. Second clue was when she said, well, Brett, I've had to ship your blood up to Pretoria for further testing. I've already done that. Now, I should have already put two and two together at this stage. That why she already shipped it up. And the third clue, and still I didn't want to believe it, was when she said, well, look, the test results should be back next week, Friday. Why don't you and your partner come to Shabbat dinner at my house and we'll celebrate the good news of your test results? Now, I've spent the last, what, 20 years talking to South Africans, and I've always asked the question, how many people have ever had their doctor invite them to dinner? And to this day... I've never had one person put up their hand, but somehow I believed it wasn't. She saw what was coming, and she saw something in me. And again, I say, I was very lucky because the stars were in my favor. So little did I know what was coming. I didn't want to believe it. And what I call the Madonna song, am I, am I not? Am I, am I not? Played in my head for the entire week. And I remember my last meeting on Friday, that week after Easter weekend, I was at Seapoint, actually, in Point, <laughs> to be exact. And I remember finishing the meeting and feeling butterflies in my stomach, suddenly thinking, do I want to know? Do I want to know when I'm going to die? Do I want to know who I'm going to tell first? Do I want to know who's going to reject me? Do I want to know when I'm going to die? And with that, I got to the car, and I must admit I was pretty scared. Am I? Am I not? But I realized at that moment as I got into that little yuppie-mobile that in 1994 they gave us the most liberal constitution in the world but they forgot to give us the book that comes along with all those freedoms, the book of responsibilities. 
And I realized, I don't know how, but in that moment, that it was my responsibility to start that car and to get to Dr. Schumann's house in Milnerton and to finally know. So started the car with Madonna playing in the back of my head. Am I? Am I not? Picked up my partner, and we went off to dinner. Arrived at Dr. Schumann's house. Beautiful garden, pathway. She was at the front door, and I'm at the beginning of the pathway. And I look in her eyes to see a smile, anything to tell me that I don't have the darn disease. The disease that had billboard posters that said AIDS with a picture of a coffin kills. And with that I realized, looking in her eyes, that I had it. And what I knew about it was pretty scary. So by the time I got to her at the front door, the angel that was Dr. Schumann grabbed me and hugged me. And I'm forever grateful to her because I don't think I'd be here today because she showed me that I wasn't going to be rejected. And that's why I'm here today to share my story to all those people that are going to find out. Don't be scared about the rejection because there are people out there. You just got to look for them. And I was lucky enough to have her. She immediately took my partner's blood and shipped it off to the Milmerton Mediclinic. And an hour later, we found out that he had full-blown AIDS, CD4 count of 67. He didn't know. He was as healthy as I am, as I look today. And that's why I didn't think that it would happen to me. So an hour after finding out that my partner had it, I was smoking a cigarette in the garden, thinking about all the things I haven't done at 27. Disneyland, Europe, whatever, all the privileged things that I still wanted to do. And all I could remember was, after asking Dr. Schumann when she grabbed me, was, how long do I have? And I'll never forget it. She said, Brett, I don't know. A year, maybe two, possibly five, I really couldn't tell you. And that was my wake-up call, that I took my life for granted, But through tragedies, bloom daisies. And I'd like to think that this story is one of those daisy stories. I came out the closet at 26 years old. As I came out, I met the love of my life, the first love, an American you know, two years, two and a half years of bliss, and then, what, two, I think it was two years into our relationship, we decided to buy a property. And one of the requirements back then, I think that was in, what was it, 97, HIV test for the insurance policy. And I, it was in my name, the bond, so it was me that had to go for the test, and in those days it was five years, every five years you had to go for the test. So when I went for the test, the first test ever, those days was a week of waiting. Am I, am I not? Um, It came back and it came back negative. And somehow in my mind, I'd made this, maybe it's not true. I'm gay, I'm in a relationship, I don't have it. 
I don't need to ask my partner to get tested because I surely would have been infected by now. And that was the decision that we made because we didn't know. We were going to find out. Yeah, I can point a finger towards him, but there were three pointing back at me. I was angry at myself for being stupid. When we found out, I found out first, things weren't going well in this relationship. And what that did was just glue us together for another year. And in that year, it was at least I didn't have to worry about high on bread. <laughs> I'm HIV positive, yeah, and single. Because all of these things, you know, not many people think about these things. You know, try and be single and HIV positive. <laughs> not many people are going to take that one on. Um, so it glued us. But I think what eventually I realized and then he realized was my way of dealing with it and coming to terms with what I had was me being open about it. There was no way I could keep this a secret. Dr. Schumann was first, my mother was second. And it just came out. And I couldn't stop it. And that was just what helped me get through. And something hit home was I was a television producer and it went back to me driving home from Wilmerton to Thomas Cliff going, where's the bloody information? And I realized, well, if I've got a year, <laughs> I'm a television producer. I'm going to use and abuse every one of my clients and every broadcaster to make sure that I do leave a legacy so that I can make sure that nobody makes the same mistake that I did to believe that it wouldn't happen to them. And I don't know, the daisy suddenly appeared and through that telling my story, some amazing things happened. I phoned all my marketing directors of major multinationals and said, look, I've been told I've got a year left to live. <laughs> um, this is the story. And before I die, this is what I want to do. I want to know if you're on board, I need 20 grand. So how am I still here? I go back to that mentor. I got involved, I got invited to be part of a, a book called Living Openly. And it was so easy to be on a billboard, on a magazine cover, on the radio. I even had a billboard on the end too, Levi posters. And this was an opportunity for me to share my story. And in that, I met the most amazing people. Um, one of them being David Patient, Fahmida Miller, Judge Cameron. Um, and I remember David Patient was interviewing me and... He asked me questions, and I had this opportunity to ask him a question. So I asked him, so how long have you been on treatment? And I remember him looking at me and going, I'm not on treatment. So I said, oh, so how long, long have you been living with us? 16 years. I was like, what? And there was hope. David Patient died last year not of anything to do with HIV, but actually a heart attack, after living with it for 36 years. And he and the likes of Judge Cameron and Zaki Ahmad, who have been living in the likes of 30-odd years, are what keeps me hopeful and doing what I do, coming to share this story, because telling a story, I believe, is one of the biggest parts of me being around here 20 years later. And, you know, I think from my perspective, from my lens, 
of living with us, probably from our white privileged lens, is that South Africa has shown the world how to do it. I know we all like to harp on our history and maybe we only like to see one side of our history, but history has a full 360 view. And if it wasn't for some really tough decisions, we wouldn't be the country showing the world to roll out the largest antiretroviral program at a price that is affordable for every South African to pay for. So I'm forever grateful for all of those people in this country that have fought so that I, along with all of the other South Africans that need this life-saving drug, can have it for free or a very little amount. I didn't think I was going to make 40. I'm 46 going 47. So 20 years from one, I'm grateful. I'm grateful for everybody that has allowed me to be able to get that medication so that I could be here 20 years later. Yeah, if I go back to the fluffy white Cape Tonian that had his little yuppie mobile, he was a television producer, his dream was to win an Oscar. And if you get behind, what was the dream of winning the Oscar? Recognition, to be noticed, to be seen. And I suppose that was the drive of just wanting my parents to recognize their son. That's what I think this disease has given me. Would I change it? Not a chance. Because I didn't win the Oscar. But that was the point. And I suppose that's always been the, my game, the art of influencing. The art of influencing change. Bringing in hope. And that's, I suppose taking HIV to the bigger things in this country when there is so little hope we've got to be able to focus on what has worked what lessons can we take and I think that's what we need to try and touch and that's what I liked about this human story because I think everybody in this country has got a story and as soon as we hear one another's story we'll start to notice that you know what we're no different we might think we are but actually we we're all desperate for hope. We all want to do something to make a legacy.